Well, it's again good to be with you and an honor to be here to preach the gospel of God's grace in Christ. One of the things that I'm learning as I do get older is, uh, is you experience the infirmities of the flesh, the weaknesses, that it does help you to learn to hate sin more because I realize that what you go through in these infirmities is the result of sin. And I was thinking about that this morning because of this message. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the natural man and the new birth. The title of the message is, What is in Man? What is in man? And I always think about that verse in Romans 8 and verse 10 where it says, The body is dead because of sin, speaking of our physical bodies. Uh, one old preacher of the past, I can't remember who, he said, I'm, I preach as a dying man to dying men. And that includes you women, too. That's, uh, so uh, that's what we are. And the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And that's, you could just say, the spirit is life because of Christ, because he is our righteousness. Well, in, uh, in salvation, you know, salvation is a multifaceted thing. Uh, there, there's eternal issues, there's uh, legal issues, spiritual issues, providential. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big subject. And uh, when I think about what is necessary for the salvation of a sinner, and I think about the legal aspect of it, that's our justification before God. And justification is a legal matter. There are legal issues because God is holy. He's a righteous God, and he cannot, he cannot deny himself in order to save a sinner. He must be righteous. He must remain holy in the salvation of his people. And so there are legal obstacles that must be removed, and uh, they're removed by his grace through the righteousness of Christ. And that's his righteousness imputed. And then salvation involves some spiritual issues, too, because of what Christ says here in this passage. Look at John chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, Christ was in Jerusalem, John 2, 23, at the Passover, in the feast day. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles where he did, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all. He knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And that's where I got the title, What is in Man? Well, that's, that speaks to the spiritual issue of what is necessary to save a sinner. And, of course, that's followed up in chapter 3 with the fact that we need to be born again. And why is that? Because spiritually speaking, by nature, we're dead. Spiritual death. Dead in trespasses and sins. As I said, the body is dead. That's a physical body, but the spirit. Man fell in Adam into a state of spiritual death and depravity. And the new birth is necessary. You must be born again. People talk about the, the issues of imputation and impartation. And a lot of people get those mixed up. And, and really, we shouldn't. I mean, we, we should train ourselves, you know, in the Word of God. Uh, imputation 
it's it's a lot of it's a legal term. It's an accounting term. Uh, this generation today ought to know something about imputation because I guarantee just about every one of you have a credit card. When you go out and you buy something on a credit card, that debt is imputed to you. It's charged to you. And that's real. That's not fake, is it? You've got to pay it back. And so that's, sin runs up a debt that, that, that's charged against God's people in Christ. Our sins really are imputed to Christ, not to us personally, but to Christ. And so he paid the debt. And that's what's imputed. That's righteousness imputed. But now righteousness is not imparted. Imparted has to do with something that is infused in, by way of knowledge. And that's what, that's what the new birth is. Spiritual life is imparted. Spiritual knowledge is imparted. That's something that's in you, that you understand, that you know, and you respond to, faith, and all of that. So both are necessary for salvation. One is the ground, the other is the fruit. Simple as that. Righteousness imputed is the ground, and the life, spiritual life imparted is the fruit. Well, why do we need to be born again? Well, this this tells us, because apart from being born again, we cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We don't have spiritual eyes to see the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in Christ. Uh, Unless we're born again, we cannot hear spiritually. We have ears to hear. You can hear what a person says in preaching the gospel, but you can't appreciate it. You can't value it. You can't know it unto salvation. So that's what this is all about. So here's Christ in Jerusalem at the Passover. And, then you, of course, you know the Passover is a great picture of Christ, the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you, God said. And, for, and it says many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Now, from the next two verses, we know that their believing in Christ was merely the faith of miracles. Believing in him not as Savior, not as Lord, not as surety or substitute or Redeemer, not as the Lord their righteousness, but simply believing as Nicodemus expressed. Look down at chapter 3 and verse 2. Here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And it says, The same Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, Nicodemus did not believe in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah at this time, as the Savior. But he recognized that because of the miracles, that he had to be somebody sent from God. Nobody could do these things unless God sent him. And that's what these people up here that, that are described as they believed in his name when they saw the miracles That's how they believe. They look to him as one who is sent from God to do miracles. So when it says in verse 24 or verse 23 that many believed in his name, he's not talking about the gift of faith that comes from God in the new birth where he gives his people a new heart, a new knowledge that brings a sinner to Christ for salvation. 
for forgiveness, for righteousness. You see, faith, saving faith, does not come by miracles, believing in miracles. It comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The scripture says that, Romans 10, 17. It's the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit that brings sinners to Christ, not miracles. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But it says in verse 24 that Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all. He knew all men. Now that word translated commit there is the same word translated believed in the prior verse. So they, cl they claim to believe in Christ, but only because of the miracles, not because of any conviction of their sins or their need of a Savior from their sins, not from, uh, from their need of a righteousness, their need of life that only comes to a sinner by God's grace and from the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ didn't believe in them. <laughs> he didn't commit himself to them. He had no faith in their faith. And one thing we can be assured of is this. <clears throat> Christ is fully committed to his people. And his people are committed to him. He, taught, he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. But he, and, and I think about the Apostle Paul when he, that great statement of faith in 2 Timothy 1.12, where he said that I know whom I have believed and, and I'm persuaded that, uh, that, uh, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And I think about what have I committed to Christ? I've committed unto him my whole salvation, every part of it, everything about it, every blessing of it, every, every benefit is committed to Christ. It's in his hands. Well, it says here that Christ knew all men. The Bible tells us that only God truly knows all people in the very heart of hearts, and that he alone knows the true hearts of all people. I think about Solomon in his prayer at the dedication of the temple. He stated this truth. He said, for thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. And it says in verse 25, he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So to say that Christ knew all men and that he knew what was in man, is an affirmation that he's not only man without sin, he's also God manifest in the flesh. He knew their hearts. And we need to make a distinction in what kind of knowledge this is. This means, this means he's not only cognizant of who they are, he knew who they were, and what they've done, what they're doing, what they will do. He knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts. He knew their motives. He knew their goals. The Bible says that all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And that's a sobering thought, isn't it? That thought that just went through your mind. God knows it. I don't know it. I don't know what you're thinking right now. I think most of you have a pleasant look on your face, so I, think, I hope it's positive. But I, I, can't, 
I can't, I can't read your mind, but God can. And God knows his elect in sovereign grace, redeeming grace, and regenerating grace. The Bible says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows his people. So the question comes, what is in man? Christ knows, but by nature we don't know. Man really does not even know what's in himself. I think about that passage in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know our own hearts. And the only way we can know ourselves is by the word of God revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit to show us who we are. And what does the Bible say about us naturally? Well, that we fell in Adam into a state of sin and death. We're born spiritually dead, spiritually depraved. We have no spiritual life. What is the spirit? Well, the spirit is our heart, our mind, our affections, our wills, our motives, our conscience, the inner man, our goals, all of these things. But being dead spiritually means that we have no knowledge of our, or desire for the things that glorify God, especially in the matter of salvation. What is in man? And the thing that we have to understand from God's word is the necessity of the new birth changes us. It really does. It brings forth a miraculous change by the power of God that man by nature of his own works and will is incapable of. Look at John chapter 1, just a page back. And speaking of Christ being the light who's come into the world, it says in John 1 and verse 11 that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Some commentators say that's referring to his own nation, and it could. He came to the, his nation as the Jews and they received him not. But it's, it's descriptive of all of us by nature. If left to ourselves, we would not receive the Son of God. We would not believe in Christ savingly. So he came into his own, and his own received him not. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him. You mean there are some who received him? Yes, believed in him, rested in him, knew him. It says, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now that word power there is not ability. It's, it means the right, the privilege. In other words, if I claim to be a child of God, what right do I have to make that claim? That's, what, that's the context of this. What right do you have to claim to be a child of God, a sinner saved by grace? Well, it's to those who received him, who believe in Christ, even to them who believe on his name, and look at verse 13, which were born. And he says, not of blood. In other words, it wasn't natural birth. It wasn't your physical pedigree that made you a child of God. Nor of the will of the flesh. And I believe that means the works of the flesh. It wasn't by the works of the flesh that you have that right 
to be called a child of God. And it says, nor of the will of man. It wasn't because of your choice or your decision or some kind of a free will decision that gives you the right to be a child of God. But you were born literally of God, born from above. Now, why is that necessary? Well, what's in man? Spiritual death, depravity, pride, self-righteousness. That's in man by nature. That's what we are by nature. What's in man? An evil heart of unbelief, deception, ignorance. What is in man? A hatred of the true gospel. Look across the page at John chapter 3 in verse 19. And hatred of the gospel now, hatred of Christ, can come in many different forms now. It doesn't mean that everybody who hears the gospel and doesn't believe it, they're going to pick up stones to throw at the preacher. It can be just casting it off, turning a deaf ear to it. And he says here in verse 19 of John 3, he says, This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. That's what's in man, a love of darkness rather than light. And what is it about light that they hate and darkness that they love? It says because their deeds were evil. Now, those deeds are those which men and women by nature highly esteem as recommending them to God. It's like the Apostle Paul spoke of his past life before the new birth. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a, a, a Pharisee, uh, uh, touching the law of Pharisee, unblameable in the eyes of men, which he thought all those things were accepted by God, recommended him unto God. But the gospel message of how God saves sinners by his grace through the blood of Christ the righteousness of Christ, exposes all of those deeds to be an actual abomination in God's sight, to be evil. And why are they evil? It's not because they're immoral in the eyes of men. It's not because people are insincere in doing them. It's because they fail to glorify God. They don't glorify God. Salvation by the works and the wills of sinners dishonors God because God says that salvation is by his grace all conditioned on Christ. They're evil because they deny the person and work of Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.21, he said, If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you could be saved by your works, then why did Christ come to do that great work? If you can attain righteousness by your deeds, then why did he come? So to think that you can attain such things by your works is a denial of him. They're evil because they exalt the sinner. They give us room to glory. And God has worked this thing out so that we cannot glory in anything 
except Christ and his cross. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he that glorieth glory in the Lord. We rejoice in Christ, which means we glory in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. So he goes on, verse 20. He says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Men and women by nature will avoid the message that continually tells them that their deeds are evil and that their only hope is the deeds of Christ, the obedience unto death of Christ, his righteousness imputed. And anything less is dishonoring to God. Anything less is evil in the sight of God. He goes on in verse 21, but he that doeth truth. Now, what is it to do truth? It's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to follow him. Now, here he's talking about a born-again person. Doeth truth, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. They're the work of God. It's like Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, not because of good works, but unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. And he says, this is the glory of God. All of this, you know, one of the main problems with modern, popular Christianity is that it denies what God reveals about us. It denies what is in man by nature. It tells us there's a spark of goodness, a, a, a retaining of the image of God, that if we can just get some powerful preacher to fan that flame and blow it up into a fire, we can get you down the aisle and into the baptistry and call you a Christian. That is so dishonoring to God. That's an abomination. The idea of conditional salvation. That's the, that's the one thing that all false religions have in common. That salvation, whatever they call salvation, is at some stage, in some way, to some degree, conditioned on what you do or what you decide. And what sets the gospel apart from that? The gospel tells us that all of salvation, every part of it, is conditioned on Christ, and he fulfilled those conditions and secured the entire complete salvation of all for whom he lived and died, was buried, and arose again. Even our new birth. The redemptive work of Christ is our salvation. Thinking that we're justified, not by what Christ finished, but by what God enables us to do. That's a common theme of false Christianity. You've heard of the term decisional regeneration. It's not in man to make the right decision when it comes to salvation. The Bible says there's none righteous, there's none good, there's none that seeketh after God. Who's he describing there? All of us by nature. 
The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. They're spiritually discerned. You and I, if we believe the gospel, if we know the true and living God through Christ, if we rest in him, we do not do so because we're better, wiser, or more righteous than anyone else. Agreed? Because God's, God sovereignly, powerfully, and graciously intervened in our lives and drew us to him by giving us spiritual life, a new heart. Oh, we, Gary read about it last, last night when he talks about how no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. And this is the Father's will, that of all that, that he had learned of him, hearing of him, learning of the Father, come to Christ. No, that evil heart of unbelief has to be replaced by a heart purified by the blood of Christ, given the faith to believe and a love of the truth. And it takes the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth and conviction to show us the reality of what we are, what is in us. It's not in me to believe God. But God, the Holy Spirit, has put that within me, literally by the knowledge that comes to, to a sinner by the preaching of the gospel. And so that, that word is written on our hearts. Ezekiel spoke of it. Jeremiah spoke of it. God said, I'll give them a new heart, a new spirit. I'll draw them unto myself. And that's what God does for his people. You know, when we, when we look at this issue of salvation, don't we stand amazed that God has been so gracious to us? Because everything that we attain or obtain, let's say that, not attain because we don't attain it by our works, but everything that we obtain and possess that comes to us by way of blessings and benefits and eternal life and everything involved, that we didn't earn one speck of it. And we don't deserve one part of it. It's all of grace. And yet God has showered us with so many blessings, so much of what Christ has come to accomplish given us freely. I love that verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 12, Gary. The things that are freely given. I think about the woman at the well. Remember Christ said, if you only knew the gift of God, that's what we don't know by nature, the gift of God. Because we think that salvation in some way or some part has to be earned by us, has to be deserved by us. And it's not in us. It's not in man to know what's freely given until God the Holy Spirit comes and changes our hearts in the new birth. You must be born again. Well, that's, I hope that uh, helps you a little bit to understand this change. You know, some people, when they talk about the change, they go to outward reformations of character and conduct and all that but they don't even come close to speaking of that inner change of heart and mind and will that brings a sinner to Christ for all salvation. Okay.